Okay. Well, good evening, everyone. So glad to see all your faces here tonight. Uh, you know, I know it's not technically according to, you know, the church calendar, but I feel like it's already been said, so I'll say Merry Christmas, even though we're still technically in Advent. Uh, so Merry Christmas, happy third Sunday of Advent. Really glad you guys are here to worship our God and King in this place as a part of this spiritual family in Christ. So... Um, as we are and have been doing uh, these last couple weeks and will do for one more week before we actually hit Christmas Sunday, uh, we are going to continue doing this sermon series that we're calling Anthems of Advent. And the whole vision of this series is that we are taking a little bit of time to, to sink our hearts and minds into some of the, the biblical riches and the key scripture verses that really serve as kind of foundational truths for uh, so many of these Christmas carols and Advent songs and hymns that we just sing and love to sing uh, this time of year, uh, like we did tonight. We sang many of them. And so tonight uh, is going to be just that same thing. And uh, I'm actually going to read from the scriptures in two different places, if you can handle that, right at the outset. So I'm going to be reading from uh, 1 Timothy 6, a couple verses there, and then also Revelation chapter 19, one verse there. And uh, the, the uh, particular hymn or anthem that we are connecting these scriptures to tonight is going to be the, the song that we sang earlier during the offering, which is uh, the song, What Child Is This? So that said, uh, as you are able, why don't you go ahead and stand for the reading of God's word. So God's word in 1 Timothy 1st, chapter 6, uh, the context here, the Apostle Paul uh, writing to his protege in the faith, Timothy, encouraging him to fight the good fight of faith. He says this, he says, keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign the King of kings and Lord of lords. And then also this from Revelation, the vision of John, seeing the returning and glorious Christ, writes this, God's word, on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is God's word. Remain standing. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, you are good. God, thank you for the ways we've already been able to rejoice in you. We've been encouraged by your truth. We've been encouraged by one another. Uh, we pray that these next few moments around these scripture texts and thinking about themes that are in your word would be rich as well for our souls, that you would do the work that only you can do in this time by the, by the power of your spirit, we pray. Through your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, you may be seated. All right, so uh, just diving in, friends, I imagine uh, just reading those two very short scripture passages, you were probably able to pick up pretty quickly, pretty easily on what was kind of the common theme, the shared idea that unites what Paul is saying to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6 and what John was saying in Revelation chapter 19. What was that common thing? What, what, was, what was the shared idea? that both of those guys were focused on? 
Yeah, I, I think I heard it in the room. It, it's that Jesus is both King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That Jesus is not just a king among many. He's not just a Lord among uh, lots of options. But he is the supreme, the ultimate king, the ultimate Lord, the true and final authority of our lives and of the universe. And it is that idea coming up in both those places that uh, we're going to think about tonight. And it's really that idea that is the, the truth, that is the bridge from the scriptures, as we just read them, to our particular song, as I mentioned earlier, uh, What Child Is This? That we're going to be uh, kind of teasing out and connecting. Because uh, in that song, the idea of the kingship of Christ is a, just a major theme that runs all throughout that song. Uh, right away, just from the opening, uh, very start of the, the first verse of that song, we, uh, we see that the author of this hymn kind of asks this rhetorical question. And the question in this case is, is a good one. Um, what child is this? You know, anytime you see a little person, uh, you know, you might want to ask, what, what, what child is this? To whom does this kid belong? Uh, it's, it's always a good question. What child is this? But, but in the case of this particular song, as we move along, we see that it's, you know, it's not just any random child that this author has in mind, but it's the child who on Mary's lap is sleeping. It's the child whom the angels are greeting and whom the shepherds are guarding as they are keeping their watch. This is, this is the child that the, the author of this hymn has in mind. And so he's asking the question, so who, what child is this? Who is this little person? And of course, he answers his own question pretty quickly. He asks, asks the question in verse 1, he comes in with the chorus, with the answer. And the answer is, this is Christ. This is the Christ. This is the Messiah, the promised one of Israel, that, to whom all of the, the Old Testament scriptures pointed towards. This is Christ the King, the Messiah and the King, whom the shepherds are guarding and whom the angels are seeing. And because that is who this little person is, what should we do? The hymn writer continues, let's do this, let's haste. Let's go. Let's move. Let's, let's bring him laud. I don't know about you, but laud is not a word I use in my everyday vocabulary. Bring him laud. Uh, but it's one of these words that, you know, English is funny and it's built on Latin and all these other different things. And so, you know, we can kind of get a, a taste for what laud is trying to communicate to us if we think of our word applaud. App laud, right? App laud. What, what are you doing when you are, you know, yay, you are applauding, right? You're, you're giving praise. You're giving, you know, in a sense, worship, right? You're, you're giving acclaim to something or to someone or to some performance, right? And so that's what the author of the hymn is saying. Let's bring him laud. Let's bring this little king praise and worship that he is due, the, this babe who is sleeping on Mary's lap. This one who is, full circle, the king, the Messiah. So that's just verse one, kind of leading into the chorus. 
And just as we've teased through some of that, we see that kingship is a major theme of what, what this song is about and what the author is writing about here, these words. But really where we see it, not only verse 1, not only in the chorus, where I really want to sink into it for the next few moments and really kind of make it our, our focus, is this verse 3, the final verse of the song. Because it's in this verse 3 that we see the explicit language that we saw in 1 Timothy 6, that we saw in Revelation 19, being used by this, this author of this hymn. He writes this, again, thinking about this, this king, this baby, this son of Mary. He says, okay, so in light of this king, what should we do? Bring him incense, gold, and myrrh. Of course, if, if we know our Bibles at all, we've been around a few Christmas times, we know this is an allusion to you know, incense, gold, and myrrh. Who, who comes and brings the incense, the gold, and the myrrh? I think I heard whispers, right? The, like the wise men, right? The magi. Uh, these, these, uh, these guys, these, these non-Israelites, uh, you know, we refer to them sometimes even as kings, even though in nowhere in Scripture does it say there were three of them. We don't know how many there were, there were but, you know, we three kings is, is the song that kind of connects to that. But these are the guys who are coming, right? They're, they're giving, bringing these precious gifts. They're, you know, this is their form of laud, right, that they're bringing with them. And then there's this invitation in the second part of, of this verse 3, where the hymn writer says, Come, and he says, Come, peasant, king, to own him. That also is kind of a weird line, isn't it? I don't know about you, but uh, for me, when I've sung this in the past, sometimes maybe without thinking about it as, as much, I've kind of run that together and, and kind of thought it said, Come, peasant, king, to own him. But, you know, punctuation matters, and there's a comma, right, in between peasant and king. So it's, it basically, it's come peasant, come king. Essentially, it's it, come one and all, come everyone, to own him, to, to make him your king, to make him yours, right? One and all, because he is, who is he? He is the king of kings and the lord of lords, as Revelation and as First Timothy indicate. He is the one who brings salvation. So own him, make him yours. And as you realize this salvation that he is bringing, let your loving heart enthrone him for, what he, for who he is, for what he has done. This, this king is also the savior, even just as this newborn babe. This is who he is going to be. So the hymn writer is saying, don't miss it. The king is here. He has, he has arrived. Embrace him. Enthrone him. Now, I don't know about uh, for you, uh, but as I was thinking about this this week and as I've thought about this just in various moments throughout my life, I think for us in this room, and even we could broaden the category out uh, even a little bit wider and just think about Americans in general. I assume probably most of us are uh, at least, you know, American on some level here. And um, I think we as Americans don't generally connect with uh, kingship as well as maybe some people in the past have or people even in other cultures, right? We kind of... Um, you know, we've never had, you know, well, other than the one that we rejected early on in kind of the founding and establishment of our nation, right? Uh, we're not really big fans 
of, of kings and of kingship. So I feel like some of this, this talk of a king is, is lost on us. We, we don't like the idea of, especially some maybe unelected person uh, that we have no, no say or choice over, uh, who has this authority uh, just simply based on who they are or their heritage, you know, just being able to uh, be over us. That's the kind of thing that, you know, most Americans say, nope, no thanks, I'm out, right? And yet, um, you know, this would have been very much the case and would have connected for the guy who wrote this hymn because he was a British guy. He, he lived in the United Kingdom. And so he knew what it was like to have a monarch who was over him. And uh, this author of uh, What Child Is This, uh, with just a little bit about his life, thinking about his story, uh, he was born in Bristol, England. Anyone been to Bristol by any chance? I didn't, yeah, no. Um, but yeah, born in Bristol in the 1800s, and then lived a lot of his life actually in Glasgow, Scotland. Glasgow in the United Kingdom. And interestingly, this guy is the author of this hymn, uh, as you can see on the, uh, on the screen, very British-sounding name, William Chatterton Dix, right? So if you're, you know, pregnant and you're looking for a name, Chatterton, I think it, it, might, it might begin trending here on the, on the name charts, Chatterton Dix. Um, but William Chatterton Dix was not, uh, was not a pastor, actually which kind of sets him uh, as unique and kind of distinct from a lot of the, the kind of famous hymn writers that we see throughout church history. Um, he was actually a, the manager of a, a maritime uh, insurance agency, like a, an insurance agency that insured boats and ships when they went out on these long journeys. Um, and the way I thought about him this week is essentially that he was like, like a Brad Jacobson that lived in Glasgow in the 1800s. So, right? Yes, right, okay. Everyone needs a, some insurance, right? Especially if you're sending your ships. <laughs> if you're sending your ships out, right? Uh, your life savings, all that. Uh, if those things were not insured and you, you met some pirates or a storm or something, you know, that'd be big trouble for your, your, you know, your future financial life. So William Chatterton Dix was, a, was an insurance agency, and he helped uh, guys uh, get covered uh, in those situations. Uh, but that was his day job, but he was also, in kind of this really neat and sweet way, he was this prolific uh, writer of English hymns. He loved just poetic verse and music and song and edifying the church. And so that's what he did uh, in many of his off times and off days, uh, I, one of the places I was reading about him this week said, you know, even though he kind of worked this, you know, secular, for lack of a better term, uh, job, said his heart was in the poetry of worship. His heart was in the poetry of worship. I feel like that, that would be a cool thing to have uh, said about you or written about you uh, at some point, you know, after you're gone. Say, yeah, you know, he, he did this and that, but his heart was in the poetry of worship. I'd take that. That'd be good. Um, so, uh, all that said, yeah, so he wrote over 200 hymns, and he loved Christmas. Over 40 of those hymns were either Christmas or Advent-related in some way. And that includes, of course, the one that we're talking about and connecting to tonight. Uh, 
What Child Is This?, written in 1865. And again, to me, it was interesting to think about this guy, his context in the 1800s, writing this hymn, um, you know, as a guy who, to some extent, at least more than me, I would say, gets what it, what it means to be the subject of a king, right? understands royalty and monarchy in a way that, you know, I don't, having never lived under a king or been the subject of a king in, in any particular sense in, an, in, you know, kind of our earthly political uh, sphere and context. But this guy, Chatterton Dix, could have, you know, he could have written this song that's, you know, where he's writing, King of Kings, Salvation Brings. And he could actually think of, you know, his king, or actually in his case, it was, uh, it was a queen. It was a, a woman monarch. It was Queen Victoria at the time that he was writing this hymn. And he could, he could imagine his, his queen, his monarch, bowing the knee, right, bending the knee to the ultimate king, King Jesus as he's, he's writing these verses about who Jesus is. And, uh, you know, he, no doubt he was, I, he had these verses that we read at the beginning of the service in his mind as well. Revelation 19, 1 Timothy 6, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So thinking about that, kind of setting a little bit of that in place. Uh, sorry, excuse the, uh, that's whatever that was. Um, all that in place, kind of background of the hymn and the author of it, really just for the next few moments, just one, uh, I guess really my main point and reflection is that it is a good and right thing when Jesus is enthroned. It is good and right when Jesus Christ is enthroned as who he is in our lives, in the world. When Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords, uh, that is when everything is as it should be. When Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning in a, in a fully orbed, uh, fully manifested kind of way, that is good and right. We want that as those who uh, have been saved by him, by the salvation that he brings. We want him to rule and reign in our lives, in our actions, in our thoughts, and in, in all that we are. So I want to think about that just for a little bit uh, for the next few moments. And, you know, really one of, the, one of the questions we can ask ourselves, kind of introducing this idea, is to ask ourselves, what does, what does the reality of Jesus's kingship, of Jesus being enthroned, look like for us practically? Like, what does it mean for you and me today to have Jesus as our king? And... I, I can leave that question with you to, to chew on and to think about this week as, as some application. But I'll offer this just, um, just because here right now, something I've been thinking about. One thing that that definitely does mean to have Jesus as, as your king, it means that you, when he speaks, right, when a king speaks, you, you heed his word. You hear his word, you take his word seriously, you cherish it. When the king speaks, you listen, right? The subjects, the people under him, listen to what the king says. And so that, as just before we fully dive in here, just thinking about, you know, our God has spoken. Our king has spoken. We have his word. 
So what does it mean to, to be under his kingship? It means we, we, uh, we, we cherish, we esteem his word, and we, we search it, and we seek to truly submit to it and apply it to our lives because he is king and Lord over us. And, you know, as I say that, uh, just one level more is, you know, I know that that, that is uh, sincerely challenging. There's deep challenge to that because really there are many, many things in my life, in your life, in our experiences that uh, over and against Jesus wants to be enthroned in our lives as king and as Lord. There are lots of things that want to supplant Jesus as the king of kings and the Lord of lords in our lives all the time. Uh, You know. I don't have to, I, I could list a lot of things, you know, you could pick your poison. We, we think about uh, just physical comfort as, as an idol for us. Just, we, we just want to be comfortable, and that becomes some, a desire that we enthrone in our lives that kind of navig- that, you know, dictates all of our decisions. We can think about um, things that we enthrone, like relationships other than Jesus, right? We are... Uh, we are being governed by getting the approval or the lack of approval of someone in our lives, someone in our lives, a friend or a family member. We can enthrone that or someone else other than Jesus in that way. Uh, we can enthrone control and our sense of having control. We could go on, right? I mean, you can probably think of five or six other things. Maybe I'll stop there with my list. You know, there's, there's lots of things that want to be on the throne, pushing Jesus to the side. But all of those things are really bad kings. All of those things are really bad lords. And Jesus is the good one. Right? Jesus is the good king that, that we want to submit to. Right? It is good and right to submit to him as our king and as our lord, even when it's hard. Even when it bucks against everything that, that we want and that is instinctual to us, it is good and right for him, for his word, to have the day in our lives. Flee from those false bad kings, run to the true king. So, I, I feel like that was a long, maybe, trail. I need to, I'll bring us back here. Is, am I making sense? Okay. Um, so, okay, so then as we think about the reality of Jesus, his, his enthronement, he, he's the supreme king in scripture. It's good and right when Jesus is king. Uh, what I want to do for just the, the rest of this time is I want, to, um, I want to encourage us, hopefully, and maybe instruct us a little bit with two examples from God's word where uh, two groups of people who are enthroning Jesus in a good way as a positive example for us to behold. And specifically, these two groups of people, I'm, I'm going to be pulling from, like, the birth narratives, you know, the story that we see in the scriptures of Jesus coming into the world, his first advent. So that might sound a little weird, but hopefully it'll make more sense as I go along. For the first um, group, I want to look at the example of the lowly, some lowly folks that we see in scripture. And then I want to also look at the example of some who are mighty as well and a positive example that we can see from them. So who are, we'll dive right in. Who are these people? Who are these groups? Uh, First of all, thinking about the lowly. Uh, In our song, the hymn, uh, as I noted earlier, the the hymn writer, Chatterton Dix, writes, um, 
you know, come peasant and own him. Well, who's the peasant? Well, if we think about that in the context of the scriptures and the birth narrative of Jesus, it's probably an allusion to the shepherds. And these shepherds, we know, if, if you kind of studied a little bit of the Bible context, uh, generally, historically, shepherds were not people of high esteem. They were, they were generally kind of the bottom rung of society. We see this, I think, you know, allusions to this in, uh, in the New Testament, but I, I thought it was explicitly of the example from the Old Testament where Joseph and his brothers are in Egypt, and, uh, you know, they're coming in, and Joseph says to his brothers, hey, tell the Egyptians, tell Pharaoh, uh, king of Egypt, that you guys are shepherds, and basically they'll leave you alone because, you know, the, the, the Egyptians didn't want to be near and kind of interact with shepherds, and so that's what they did, and, and that's just, you know, one example of shepherds just in terms of the, the pecking order of society not being at the top, being more of these kind of lowly guys. And yet, if we look at uh, what happens in the Gospels, look at uh, Luke 2, for example, we see that when Jesus shows up, the shepherds are guys who are, who are getting, it, getting it right, right? The shepherds are guys who are responding well to the king of kings showing up in their midst. We saw earlier, and we can read in the scriptures, how these guys, you know, the song says they're, they're watching, they're guarding, they're, they're doing their job faithfully. Then an angel shows up. They, they tremble, as, as you should, when an angel shows up, when, when a heavenly being appears. They tremble, the fear of, of, of something otherworldly perhaps the fear of God, then they, they hear this announcement from the angel and they begin to say, hey, let's investigate. And they go and they say, let's see this thing. Luke 2, chapter 15, or I'm sorry, 2, uh, verse 15, uh, we see that the shepherds say, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. And we say, it says, uh, verse 16, they, then they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus in the manger. You know, they went with haste, probably where our hymn writer is pulling that, you know, haste, haste to bring him laud, right? Because the shepherds are, are going with haste. They, they need to check this thing out, right? And of course, where all of this ends for the shepherds is it ends in praise and worship. Verse 20 of Luke chapter 2 says, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen and heard. So the shepherds are these, you know, societally, you know, they're these lowly guys in our kind of earthly categories, and yet they're responding well to Jesus, the King of Kings, showing up as a babe into this world. Uh, Just one of the connections that this uh, signaled in my brain, thinking about these guys and, and the lowly and them responding well, made me think of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where he's writing to the Corinthians about how they should consider their calling. In that section, uh, Paul writes, you know, consider your calling, brothers. He says, how many of you, uh, sorry, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful or of noble birth. He says, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised 
in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing, things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. As it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I think uh, the shepherds are kind of a, an illustration of what you know, 1 Corinthians is talking about here. You know, the low and despised, and yet they become the messengers of the gospel. They see Jesus and they go, hey, we've got we to spread this news. We've got to tell people this is, this is something good. And they are enthroning him in their lives in that moment. So I wonder, just for us, uh, thinking about that, you know, are, are there people in our lives that we kind of might put, uh, whether we want to admit it or not, kind of in a different category and say, like, oh, you know, I, I have something to give to that person, but I don't have anything to receive from that person, you know? Uh, someone we, we might consider to be lo- lowly on some level, and yet maybe that's the person we need to learn something from about when it comes to, you know, uh, responding to Jesus rightly and living, uh, living rightly as, with Jesus as our king. Something to, to chew, chew on, think about, you know, think about the faith of a child, perhaps. Right? We think, oh, you know, we have to teach the children, you know, but maybe we have something to learn from, from, the, from the child as well. And their simple and their beautiful, often childlike faith, responding. Uh, other, other ways we could think about that as well. Um, I'll make just one other note. I thought of uh, lowly folks also, even the parents of Jesus. Mary and Joseph, they were not people of great power and prestige as we see their story in the scriptures. You know, Joseph, a carpenter. Mary ends up in this situation where she's unmarried and pregnant. Right? That, that is not a position of power and great esteem. And yet she is a woman of worship. As we look at the scriptures, uh, Luke 2, verse 38 says, and Mary said, this is after, you know, the angel Gabriel appears and says, hey, this is what's going on. This is what's going to happen. The Messiah is coming and he's coming through you. Like, okay, there's lots of ways we could respond to that. And Mary says, behold, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be to me according to your word, according to God's word. Lowly uh, gal, according to worldly uh, estimations, and yet she is one who is responding and enthroning Christ and his word very well in that moment. So those are my two kind of thoughts. The shepherds, you got the parents of Jesus, lowly folks responding in beautiful ways when Jesus shows up as the king in their midst. Uh, Secondly, and more briefly, uh, the mighty who are the mighty as we look at the birth narrative of Jesus. And the, the number one example that comes to uh, our minds and to my mind as I think about the hymn and also the scriptures is the angels, the, the heavenly hosts. These are, are majestic uh, creations, creatures. They are, they are mighty, right? They, they are the army of heaven. And yet we see that they are right there with the shepherds and they you know, uh, are saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. They're celebrating, they're praising, they are ex- excited that finally this moment has arrived. 
as they've watched from the sidelines all of history, you know, the, the, the coming, the unfolding of this plan to, to send the Messiah. And the angels finally see it. They said, praise God. These mighty creatures, creations, praising the Lord, bringing Lot to Jesus. Angels, uh, whom the angels are greeting, the anthems sweet that they're singing. Also can think about uh, the wise men, the magi, similar. Right? These guys were, were men of uh, prestige. They, they had these priceless, or not priceless, but uh, very precious gifts to bring. Gold, incense, myrrh. And yet these kind of guys who have, you know, obviously they, they had the, the means to take this long journey. I don't know if they had insurance, but they, they took the journey and, and they went and they too, they, you know, we, again, we call them the kings, and yet they bend the knee. They bow before this newborn babe. These guys are responding rightly when Jesus shows up as king and as Lord. I think the, the way to end this is to think about, okay, so... There's the, the lowly responding well, and this, this good example of that. We, we see those who are mighty and powerful on some level responding well in worship to God when he shows up to, to Christ as the king. And then we just ask, okay, so now bring it home. Right? Bring it to us. How are we responding to Jesus as king of kings and lord of lords? Part of, part of this goes back to that question we started with, which, which is, you know, what are we doing with our king's word how are we heeding it? How are we reading it? Are we, are we cherishing it in our hearts and in our lives? But it also goes to how much do we understand and comprehend and appreciate that this king is the one who sal- he brings salvation, right? Salvation brings. Because if we understand that this is not only the king, but the savior, the king of kings who brings salvation, then I think, you know, he comes to love us so that we might have loving hearts in response to his love and enthrone him. Jesus is the one who came and he was the lowly, right? So that he might save us and make us his own. We know that that was his first advent. His second advent is gonna be him coming in might and and full power and full glory. And it is at that point that we will bow the knee, you know, either joyfully we will go bow the knee, as Philippians 2 talks about, or we will bow the knee, you know, somewhat, it's possible to bow the knee in, you know, and not like it, right? But if we know him as our loving and good savior, as our good king, then it will be a joy to bend the knee to the king of kings and lord of lords when he shows up in history again on this earth. Do you look forward to that day? We should. It is good and right. If you don't, you think, hey, I don't think I want that. You know, that should be a, a, you know, a reflection point in your life. Be like, hey, maybe, maybe I need to understand this Jesus guy a little bit more. Maybe I need to think about his love a little bit more and, and what the scriptures say about him, his, his identity and his claims. I think I'm going to end it there. King of kings, salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. Let's pray.
Father in heaven, Lord, thank you, God, that you are the good and righteous king. Lord, it is good and right when our hearts praise you, worship you, bring you laud, obey you, God. Lord, fuel our hearts unto that good and true obedience, Lord, acknowledging your rule and reign now and forever. And may that be a witness to the watching world of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Brian.